Well, hello everyone and welcome to the Bikes or Death podcast. This is the podcast that talks about bikepacking, cycling, adventuring, and really all things outdoors. Uh, I am not your normal host. I am not Patrick. Uh, my name is Ryan and we are going to do things a little bit differently today. Um, I'm actually going to interview Patrick. Uh, so this is an idea that we kind of had percolating uh, for some time, I guess. Uh, we kind of talked about interviewing you uh, on your own show, um, kind of as a way for your listeners to get to know you a little bit, uh, get to know where you are coming from, kind of some personal uh, history of you. You know, people kind of generally want to know that kind of stuff. And um, I guess uh, it just kind of worked out serendipitously that you just had your um, show featured on bikepacking.com. So uh, congratulations on that, by the way. That's yeah, that's, really, that's really fantastic. That's I'm really happy for you. Um, and so I guess this interview will somewhat kind of piggyback off of um, that article that was featured. There was a handful of questions that were asked there. And so we might dive a little bit deeper into some of those. Um, cool. give, give your listeners um, an opportunity to, um, again, know a little bit more about you. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll just kind of see how see how this goes. What do you think? Yeah, let's do it. I mean, the timing worked out pretty well um, because we had planned on doing this show on this day. I had no idea when the bikepacking.com article was mm -hmm. going to come out, and it dropped on Tuesday, and we're here on Sunday, and yeah. we're going to talk. So I think... <sighs> as much as it makes me uncomfortable, um, <laughs> to, to kind of be the center of attention. Um, I do see the value in letting people know a little bit more about me. Sure. And, uh, actually you were the one to point out, it's like, I'm not famous. I haven't done, you know, you can't go online and Google Patrick Farnsworth and find yeah. like tons of information right. about me. So I think there is value in, in, in telling a little bit more about my story. So happy yeah. to do it. Yeah. Good. Good. Well, uh, what do you think? Just jump into it? Yeah, let's, let's do, do it. it. So, um, you know, let's just start off by you telling us a little bit about yourself. I mean, aside from um, cycling, just tell us who Patrick Farnsworth is and, and what we're doing here, what you're doing here. I, I think I'm like a normal guy, right? Like I'm a, a wife, two kids, uh, live in a single family home, have a regular job. Um, I like to ride bikes and I like to go on adventures. I like to be outside. And that's one thing that I've learned about myself through the course of my life is that being outside is a requirement for me mm -hmm. and riding a bike is my favorite way to do that. So, oh yeah, we're supposed to be talking more about less about bikes and more about me. But the truth is, is that like bikes do encompass so much of my life at yeah. this point and outdoors and all those things. So, you know, for me, um, I, my family obviously comes first. Mm -hmm. I have a job that I work hard at to provide for my family. And I'm fortunate enough, I'm self-employed and that allows me to kind of make my own schedule. It's a, it's a weird life that I leave, live where, um, you know, it could be a Tuesday. My wife and I are both self-employed. I should say that it could be a Tuesday and we look at each other and we're like, what's your schedule look like? It's pretty open. What does your look like? Man, I got a couple of days off. Yeah. Let's go do something, you know? And so that's, our, that's great. Yeah. yeah. Our, our life is like that and it's weird and it, it is great, but it's also kind of weird and stressful in in different mm -hmm. ways, you know? 
uh, it's kind of nice to always have a plan and, you know, okay, well, we're going to be off for the summer. We're going to have spring break off. So let's, you know, plan this in advance. A lot of times we'll just, you know, it's always impromptu stuff and, uh, state parks are booked or we don't know what doing. So we're scrambling last minute to make things happen. And it's always great. We make the best of it. Um, Yeah, but that that's kind of what my life is like, you know. I just uh it's always a new adventure. Every single week is something new. Like we just got back from a family camping trip this weekend. We went to Lake Whitney State Park in Texas. Uh it was a family trip, so we took both girls and had a great time and then we're going to put in I think 3 days of work and then my wife and I are headed to Northwest Arkansas to visit. We just closed on some land up there, so yeah. we're going to um go check out our new property and kind of spend some time up there and uh then we'll come back and work like hell and do it all over again yeah that's awesome i mean you know i I can see how you know like you were saying they might kind of add some stressors you know not really knowing what your routine might be but i think at the same time um you're not a slave to a routine you know you're not you know a slave to that nine to five where you you're you're sure of your, your schedule and you know when you're going to be working, but you know, you know, all that time you can't be doing other things that you really want to be doing. So I'm I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's trade-offs, but at the same time, a lot of people uh, can't just kind of up and go and do, do fun stuff whenever they want to. So that's, that's really neat. And in, and in truth, I think that my life, I've created this life, whether intentionally or unintentionally, I, whether, whether ADD, or ADHD is a real thing or not, I have that. Whatever that thing is, <laughs> yeah. I have it. And so my that's just the way my life works out. Like I've I've kind of created this life where because of the way that my brain works, I can just go and do mm-hmm. whenever I need to. Like I yeah. I can work like hell and and get a lot of stuff done. And then if I'm feeling burnt out, I can take a trip and yeah. go let the steam out and get reset and come back and do it again. So it's good for me. It's, it's good. And I've, I've come to accept the fact that this is just the way I am and I'm not yeah. going to change. And so I might as well just like embrace it yeah. and roll with it. Yeah. I think there's a lot of value in that. Again, I mean, I, I don't think a lot of people get to experience that, you know, get, get to yeah. live that way, I guess, whether they want to or not, I guess, but no, true. True. I I do feel fortunate for sure. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Um, so let's get into your history with cycling a little bit, if you, if you don't mind. So, um, so tell us a little bit about your history with cycling. When did you first start riding bikes? Four years old. Four years old. Yep. I have a fun story about this real quick. Okay. Yeah, please do. Um, so I was at the, uh, the bike park, um, probably about a month ago with my daughter, we ride up the street and go to a a local bike park. And there was a kid there on a BMX bike and I had my full suspension salsa. What is it? Pony wrestler. And he was like, man, that's a cool bike. Are you good? Are you good? Am I good? I'm like, and I sat there and thought about it. I'm like, I don't know. Am I good? I was like, all right, well, I started walking at two, started riding at four. So I guess at this point I'm about as good at riding my bike as I am at walking. Yeah, that's, that's, you know, it's like, I can, I I don't know any other, like, how good are you at walking? 
Yeah. Like it's basically the I, same I don't question. fall that often, so when I walk, yeah. so I guess I'm pretty good. <laughs> it's kind of the same thing. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I I mean, I my dad, I still remember my dad teaching me how to ride. Um I I mean, I remember it vividly. It was mm-hmm. a very important moment in my life. I I have very very few memories from my childhood, mm-hmm. and almost all the ones that I have are either associated with riding bikes or my brother getting injured, which he did a lot. <laughs> but both of those always great, gave me great pleasure, and so I remember them (laughs) your brother getting injured on bikes uh yeah i could well i'll tell that story real quick why not we'll go on a tangent yeah so (laughs) one time sorry michael this is gonna happen uh so my brother is two years younger than me and we you know we were always riding bikes and hanging out and i mean we it's what you do you know like we were we were always together and so being the other older brother i was setting the example and um, we were riding around the block and i was in front of him and, uh, I had, I was riding with no hands and no feet, you know, so my mm-hmm. arms and legs were out yeah. and I told my brother, I'm like, Hey, Michael, no hands, no feet, no eyes. He didn't know that I didn't have my eyes closed cause he was behind me. So he did it. And then I watched him just kind of, you know, he wasn't, we weren't going that fast, but just, you know, kind of careen into a curb, oh, go over the bars <laughs> head first and hit a jagged curb and he was bleeding and i'm like hey how are you doing michael he's like (laughs) who am i where am i what he was concussed so he was and luckily a car came by i flagged him down he took me to our parents house and anyway he he was fine so far i mean (laughs) long time term effects we don't know yet but yeah (laughs) so having started riding bikes so young you said at the age of four how do you feel like that's influenced uh you now and and your you know your cycling habits and who you are as a cyclist now how do you feel like that's influenced you Hmm, that's a tough one um i don't think i can separate the two you know i mean my childhood looking back on it now was fantastic you know i grew up in the glorious 80s where we, we just, we lived in a great spot. We lived in a neighborhood, but we had a Creek in our backyard and there was a green space. And so we built bike trails and forts. And, mm-hmm. um, in my front yard, we built a berm and dirt ramps. And then we would go around, uh, go down the street. And we had like, you know, the, the concrete culverts were like water irrigation mm-hmm. culverts. Yeah. We'd ride our bikes on those. Oh, and, yeah. Um, I've, I've kind of, as time has gone on and I've gotten older, I think I've realized that bike packing and riding bikes is simply an extension of my childhood. Yeah. Like when I ride my bike and I'm just free and enjoying it to the fullest, I'm remembering who I was as an eight year old kid riding through the neighborhood or riding in my backyard or yeah. jumping off rickety ramps that my brother and I built in our backyard or whatever it was, you know? Yeah. So like it's, as far as I can tell, it's had a huge impact. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you know, that's, that's really something special to have those kind of formative experiences and then to have it be something like a bike, you know, riding bikes that has stuck with you for so long. You know, there's probably a lot of uh, people now that didn't have that same opportunity, you know, to have those kind of formative experiences. So that's, that's really cool to be able to you know, recognize that now as an adult and kind of unpack that and look back and say, you know, this is kind of where I've come, you know, in, in my bike riding and my recreation, you know, and this is kind of, it's kind of 
formed you know how i ride bikes and how i live my life today yeah 100 so. percent. yeah the more i think about it the more i need to send my mom a thank you letter yeah hey, there's nothing wrong with that you know g- thank you g- mom g- yeah give your mom a call tell them <laughs> thanks yeah. no for real i mean i i'm very grateful for my childhood you know you don't realize it when you're in it but like you said growing up now my kids will not experience the same type of mm-hmm. environment that I experienced. Yeah. You know, I mean, we were free to roam the town on our bikes and mm-hmm. go exploring and have adventures. And my mom didn't want to hear from us until it was time for dinner. She didn't yeah. want to see us. You know, if we came home, go to the bathroom at backyard, you know, kick yeah. us out. I mean, my mom was hardcore about it yeah. and I didn't realize the value in that until later in life. And it's, it's been everything. I mean, really like, yeah, it, it, you can't, I can't replace that experience. You know, like it was, it yeah. really had a huge impact on my life. And even to this day, it's, it's huge. And so I'm, I feel very lucky. Yeah. I, I, you and I have had this conversation a number of times just, you know, while we're hanging out and having our conversations and, uh, you know, I think you and I definitely grew up in kind of a, a different time, you know, kids are experiencing, just growing up a lot differently than than we did and then you know generations before us as well and you know there's a lot of reasons for that that we don't have to necessarily get into now but um you know i i on my level or i guess in my experience you know i I can remember uh my dad taking me to home depot like on the saturday morning and buying you know like cinder blocks and plywood and some lumber and like taking me home and we're getting, we get in the garage and he's, you know, gets his miter saw out and he's like cutting up the wood for me. Mm-hmm. He's like, all right, here's your tools, like build a ramp, like build something, you know, whatever you want. I'm going yeah. inside to take a nap. Like here's, you know, <laughs> here's, here's your, yeah, here's your materials, like build a ramp and, you know, don't come in the house unless there's a lot of blood. You know? yes. So that's kind of what he used to tell us yeah. kind, of, kind of jokingly. He would say that. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. He'd be like, don't come inside. Unless, he sounds like my mom. Yeah. He's like, unless there's a lot of blood or something. And they're, you know, of course we got bumps and bruises and got scraped and all kinds of fun stuff, but oh, man, that was so many. Yeah. I mean, that was a really valuable or those kind of experiences were really valuable for, were. for me growing up. Yeah. Dude, okay, so since we're talking about this, I'll, I'll hit it one more time. I, ca- I cannot tell you the number of times that I went home with skin knees or hands, you mm-hmm. know, because I ate shit. And, oh, yeah. I mean, I was bleeding everywhere. And my mom looks at me. My mom is a former nurse, so she's, she's competent. Mm-hmm. She looks at me, she's like, you're fine. Go take care of yourself in the bathroom, <laughs> you know? Yeah. When my brother came home with a concussion, she, she was a little more engaged and ready to help him out. But like, you know, at the time I remember like feeling not, I don't know if hurt is the right word, but just like, I felt like my world was going to end. I was in so much pain Mm -hmm. and my mom was like, you're fine. Go shake it off. You know? And like at the time that was hard, but now again, thank you, mom. Like that, that's that's helpful like your dad just sending you to do it is helpful because the only way you learn is if you get the opportunity to do it yeah and as parents like we live in a world where man you're just not given that opportunity enough and so i know again you know you and i have talked about this a lot and you gotta let your kids live life you gotta Mm -hmm. let them fall you gotta let them get hurt you don't want them to get really hurt but you know you there's value sure. in learning to fall and get back up 
and and keep going. It's simple, but there's there's a lot of value there. Yeah. And we live in a world where everybody wants to protect everybody from that. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't be who I am today if I didn't have those experiences, you know. Yeah. And I, I don't know the the extent to which they've impacted my life, but I feel like they've been meaningful. Yeah. To whatever you know, whatever extent, I don't I don't know, but I I feel like they're important, so they must be. Yeah. So when would you say that you got serious about riding bikes? And so I, I say, I choose the word serious on purpose. Cause I feel like with, you know, most quote unquote cyclists, you know, there, a lot of us grew up riding bikes, like we've been talking about. And I feel like there kind of comes a time when you're like, okay, I'm not just a kid like riding my bike anymore. You know, I'm going to buy and yeah. uh, like a nice bike and I'm going to be like a mountain biker or yeah. I'm going to be like a road cyclist or, you know, we, we, I, I, maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong no, in that, right. but I, in me, that was my experience. Like, okay, I'm going to go like buy a nice bike. No, you you're a hundred percent right. And so like wh- for you, when did you feel like you became a quote unquote serious cyclist? Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. And I think that's a really good question because like, you know, my dad taught me her, how to ride and it's what we did, right? We mm-hmm. had my, they gave us bikes. They kicked us out of the house. We mm-hmm. went and rode bikes. Like there weren't a lot of options for us. We yeah. could throw rocks at each other in the driveway <laughs> or we could go ride bikes or also whatever. Valuable. <laughs> also valuable. Um, but so for me, my life kind of went from bikes and I got like hardcore into BMX and tricks and all that kind of stuff. If you know, rad, if you've ever I seen know. the movie rad, I grew up when rad was at his peak. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that heavily influenced my life and, you know, I wanted to be crew Jones and, you know, I mean, that, that, that was it. Right. But then after that, I got into skateboarding and I did, I skateboarded. I, I consider myself a skateboarder from the age of 14 to 21. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then, um, but at, so, I, I let the bike go at that point. I wish I never did, but I did because I could have, I could have just taken BMX, but you know, I live in a small town and BMX and skateboard, like none of those things are mainstream, you know? Mm. So there's like three people in town that are skateboarders. And I was like, okay, well, I'll go with this, this crew, you know? Yeah. And it was good. I mean, I, I love those years of my life. Um, so to answer your question at the age of 19, is when it was either 18 or 19, somewhere around there, I bought a rock hopper off of eBay. Nice. And then it came with a rigid front fork. And so I went on eBay and it's back when they had the skinny headset. I think it was like an inch mm-hmm. stem. Steel frame? Uh, steel frame, mm-hmm. yeah. And put a rock shocks, God, rock shocks something, I can't remember. Oh man. Anyway, I built that bike up, you know, like I built it. I, I kind of just figured it out and I don't even remember what inspired me to do that. Maybe it was just like my youth, like kind of coming back and being like, all right, you know, like let's pick this back up. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I built, I built that bike and it was a total piece of shit. Uh, (laughs) I loved it to death. I rode the wheels off of it. And around that time period, probably about a year in around the age of 20, 21, I started doing some racing Mm -hmm. and I was terrible. Like I showed up for these races and I was wearing 
uh, cotton shirts with cut off, like my arm sleeves cut off and I was wearing yeah. like sh- baggy shorts. <laughs> and I mean, I, my bike was a complete piece of shit and all these people were in Lycra and you know, the high end bikes and everything. Um, but God, what a great, I, I just had fun. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, and, and then I, then I was like, okay, there's another level out there. Like I started yeah. racing. I was like, cause you, you just ride your home trails and you're like, I'm pretty good at these home trails and yeah. you think you're pretty good. And then you go to a race and you're like, ah, okay, there's more, there's another yeah. level out there and I'm not there yet. And so, yeah, probably around then that that's when it, that's, that's definitely when I started to like really want to become a bike rider racer probably at that time i wanted to be a racer you know i wanted to race mountain bikes and i wanted to be good yeah yeah so how did it progress from there where did you start you know like dedicating more time to riding and looking for nicer bikes you know how how did it kind of you know go 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 forward yeah exactly yeah my next bike after that was a a carbon uh cannondale cad 3 oh wow you jumped up yeah. And I took a lot of the parts off my rock shocks and I swapped them over to my Cannondale and it was still like a Franken bike. It's just something I put together and the internet wasn't quite as informative as it is now. So of course we had the internet. It was like 2001. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you can find some information online. eBay was huge. And so I spent a lot of time just on eBay looking for parts that look cool and yeah. okay, well this fit with that and that fit with that. And Um, but more, more than anything for me, like I enjoyed the process of building my own bikes, but more than anything, I just enjoyed riding Mm -hmm. mountain biking, going out on the trails. Um, in, in our, in our our town at that time, we only had one trail system, 13 miles at Lake Bryan. And I've been riding it forever. I know everything about it still to this day. I mean, I could close my eyes and ride that trail. Were you... Were you riding alone? Were you finding other people to ride with? Kind okay. of getting into like so you know the social aspect of yeah. of mountain biking. I rode, I rode alone for probably six to seven years. Oh wow! Before wow. I even reached out to like our local club. Um, Was that because of like lack of confidence or? just you wanted to be alone it's probably a combination yeah definitely a combination of lack of confidence and i'm a little bit of an introvert Mm -hmm. you know like i i'm outgoing to an extent but my time on a bike has always been a time of solitude and a time of enjoyment and reflection and all those things for me and so like i've i never even really i wasn't missing anything you know like i was out on my bike and i was enjoying it so i didn't seek anything else out And then, you know, about six or seven years after that, I kind of reached out to the local club Mm -hmm. and it was great. I, we have a great local club. It's not huge, um, but it's made up of great people and they took me in. I remember the first day there, like people were singing and dancing. There was a new member and they were excited. Um, we have four members. We have like four members. That's great. I think there was like seven or eight that day. Yeah. Yeah. But it was great. You know, we went on a group ride and, um, we finished it up. We had some beers and watched the sunset over Lake Bryan and it was good. And so, um, continuing on like that journey, it was followed by probably six or seven years of really being into the club. You know, I was in the, the, 
I was a vice president of the club and mm-hmm. I got into the organization and wanted to help grow the club and became very uh, focused on our local bike scene and, and trying to grow the bike community and all those kinds yeah. of things. Yeah. Yeah. So at, somewhere in there, you got into uh, road cycling a little bit too, didn't you? Yes. When, when did that kind of Peer happen? pressure. Peer pressure. <laughs> when, when, did, when did that come about? Oh, that was a short lived, that was short lived. Um, yeah. So I want to say that was probably about five years ago and okay. So I kind of fell off of the racing scene for a while and was just enjoying riding group rides, the, the bicycle community, um, trail work, you know, that kind of stuff. And, and, um, I felt like as my confidence grew, maybe, I was like, okay, I'm ready to go back out there. I'm ready Mm -hmm. to do some racing again. And so I got into that, right? I was tracking all my data and I was reading all the blogs and the forums and the YouTube videos Mm -hmm. and everything else. And one thing that everybody said, even my local bike shop, I mean, everybody, right? I mean, whether it's guys you're riding with at the club or whatever, you gotta, you, you, you train on your road bike for endurance, right? and cardio and you train on your mountain bike for skills Mm -hmm. but primarily most of your training is on a road bike yeah so i bought my i bought my road bike and i was training to do uh these hundred mile events and that was just like training Mm -hmm. for me to be better on my mountain bike because i wanted to to race my mountain bike but there's a couple of things that i i learned pretty quickly. Um, one, I'm not very fast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I mean, I, I really did try, but I'm not, I'm not fast. Like, yeah. and maybe that's because it's not that much fun for me, you know, yeah. and no knocking people that enjoy it. Cause I think it's great. There's a great community. It's, it's fun. Mm-hmm. I get it. Um, but it, it just didn't hit home for me the way other things have. Yeah. I, I think I had a very similar experience to yours and that when I started getting really serious about mountain biking, you know, like you said, you hear the local bike shop and all the groups saying, you know, oh, we got to get a road bike and yeah. you got to, you got to go on these long endurance, you know, interval rides and all these things to be a better mountain biker. And I, I followed a very similar path as you. I, I went and bought a pretty decent, uh, giant road bike and did that for maybe a year or so. And for me personally, I just wasn't enjoying riding a road bike. And That's right. You and I went on one road ride. Yeah, I remember I, that. I we think, did 17 miles that day. Yeah, I yeah. And I just, again, you know, personally, I just wasn't enjoying that type of cycling. I mean, I, I love being on a bike, but I just wasn't in, enjoying it that much. Yeah. And so I was like, well, I would much rather be riding my mountain bike. And I get that, like, this is supposed to make me a better mountain bike rider, but I enjoy riding my mountain bike more. So I'm yeah. just going to go ride my mountain bike more. <laughs> it makes sense. I mean, yeah. if you're not trying to be a racer, if you're not trying to be an elite athlete, yeah. then why? Why? Just go yeah. have fun. Yeah. Like, who cares? Who cares yeah. if you're fast? Just yeah. go and ride your bike and have a good time. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I you're going to get better. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. So no, we both, we both went there and, and it was fun. Like I, I did some really neat things on my road bike that were fun and I have, I have good memories from it. Uh, so tell us about, um, kind of when and how 
you got into bikepacking? You know, when, when was it introduced to you? What was kind of your progression into that side of the sport? Yeah, man, it's a weird thing. Um, so I live in, I, I, as I mentioned, a small town, college station, Texas, and we don't have like great mountain bike trails or big mountains or great camping destinations. Like, you know, we just don't like, I'm not knocking the town, but that's just a fact. And for whatever reason in this little town, we have some really badass bike packers. Jose Bermudez has done trans am tour divide. He just finished Iditarod. Um, and, and more he's, he's done a lot yeah. and he's also a cycling coach. We have Billy Rice. He was the first person ever to yo-yo the tour divide. And then the year after that, he yo-yoed the tour divide with his daughter on mm-hmm. the second leg of the yo-yo. They rode a tandem bicycle and you know, they yo-yoed it. And then I, I could go on and on the point is like, for whatever reason we have, some legitimate athletes mm-hmm. slash bike packers in our community. Yeah. And it was just a, it was a perfect storm thing where people I knew started to get into the sport. And so curiosity, obviously I started to follow what they were doing. And as, as a person who grew up camping and riding bikes and has a huge love and admiration for the outdoors, it really piqued my interest, you know, and, and you can imagine that I've been riding bikes for a long time. Right. So it's always fun to find some new creative way to ride your bike. Sure. And so all those things were happening at the same time, um, inspired to ride came out, Mm -hmm. which every bike packer knows probably. And so I watched that 1 million times and learned everything about every single one of those participants and what they were riding and all their gear and Mm -hmm. the route that they took and you know everything um and then not too long after that billy rice who i mentioned um created a a bike packing event here that starts and ends in college station texas so that's the grand gravel 500 Mm -hmm. and it's it's very simple. It's a 500 mile self-supported bike packing event, mostly on gravel. It's it, you, you start in college station. The first, then you get into the Sam Houston national forest. Mm-hmm. From there you go up through the Davy Crockett national forest. Um, you hit Palestine, which is basically the halfway point. You turn around, you're back in the Davy Crockett national forest on different roads. And then mm-hmm. back in the Sam Houston on different roads and then back to college yeah. station. So it's, it's a loop. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's a, it, it actually, it's a figure eight. Oh, it's, really? it's actually a figure eight. If okay. you look at it on a map, it's an eight. So, okay. um, so yeah, it was just, it was, it was a perfect storm. And it was one, again, one of those things that when something clicks, it clicks. Mm-hmm. And for all the reasons, all, everything in my life, all the biking and all the camping and all the passion for outdoors all came together. Yeah. And I was like, holy shit, this yeah. is something that I, I really need to do. I mean, I have to do. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think, you know, I, I had a very similar introduction and experience with bikepacking. And I think that's really just what makes 
the activity or sport, if you will, just so intriguing to so many people like you and I is, you know, you have avid outdoorsmen who love to, you know, camp and hike and ride their bikes and all stuff. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, holy crap. Like I can do all of this kind of in one go on yep. my bike. Like what? Okay, what? You know? So it's kind of like <laughs> this, you know, this, oh shit moment where it's like, you can do that. Yeah. I know. I know that that's kind of how it happened with me was, you know, I didn't even know what bike packing was. And the first bike packing trip I went on, I was just, I was working in a state park and I just put like my bike, my backpacking pack on my back for like two nights and just rode my bike out to a campsite and just camped yeah. and I didn't even think anything of it. And then I remember seeing stuff like inspired to ride and other, you know, stuff online and people like people, have all these cool bags on their bikes. And I'm like, Holy shit. Like this is a thing. This is a thing. Like this is a real <laughs> thing that people do. And I remember being super intrigued by it. So it's, it's kind of a, it was like, it's very explosive. Like when I first yeah. kind of learned about it, it's exciting. Yeah. If you have a passion for outdoors and bikes, and you find out about bike packing. Yeah. And that's one thing I've learned hosting this show. I get a lot of messages from people who are just being introduced to bike packing, just like you and I were. Yeah. And it's exciting. Yeah. You know, they're like, holy shit. How do I, how, yeah. how do I do this? I want to yeah. go. Yeah. And I, I think what you said is important through a backpack on my back and I went out for a ride. Yeah. Like it's a, it's great that there's all these bags and I love mine but you don't always need it. You yeah. know, you just need a sense of adventure, a love for the outdoors and a love for yeah. riding bikes and go, go get you some. Yeah. I, I mean, I didn't even know until probably five years later that I bike packed. Yeah. You were a bike packer. And you didn't <laughs> yeah. even know it. I was just like, I'm going to go camping and I like riding my bike. So it's going to get me there a little faster and I'll just try that. Yeah. You know? And I didn't even think anything of it. So yeah, it's cool. So was the Grand Gravel 500, that was your like first like main bikepacking was that your first event or like your first big experience bikepacking or did you have previous experiences before that i had uh i had some good experiences before that going into that for sure um i mean the first time i ever went bikepacking was with my wife carrie and i i like this story now at the at the time i didn't really think anything of it but mm -hmm. now knowing what i know it's kind of cool so we live um, like I said, pretty close to Sam Houston National Forest. And I got on a ride with GPS and I figured out a route from my house to the Sam Houston National Forest. And the idea was that my wife and I would ride there, camp and ride back. And I think it was about 55 or 60 miles to get there. And the part that I like about this story now is that I, I was riding my carbon fiber road bike. I remember that. Yeah. yeah. And I, I put a saddle bag on it. I put, I got, I got the salsa, anything cradle, the, the front. I don't even know what it is. The, the thing that goes on the front handlebars that holds a roll. Yeah. And I had a backpack on and she was riding her giant lust advanced Two carbon fiber, full suspension mountain bike. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can't get any different than that. Yeah. yeah. And we just we just took what we had yeah. and we rode our bikes to Sam Houston National Forest. Mm -hmm. We camped. We rode home. That's yeah. it. Very simple. Yeah. Very simple. And we we were probably and I said this in the bikepacking.com article. We were probably on the worst possible bikes for this adventure. Like gravel, 
Well, okay. So part of it was pavement. So you got a full suspension suspension bike on pavement. Then you got my bike, which was a gravel bike with 28 C tires, mm-hmm. um, on gravel. And it was, you know, I remember my wife was like, dude, how are you even staying up? I was bouncing all around. And I mean, yeah. I was just getting jittered and jattered and, you know, going all around and I was having a good time. I didn't, I didn't yeah. care. You know, yeah. I was riding my bike and I was having fun. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, that was my first ever experience. And then, uh, it, it was a great experience. And, and after that, I can't, even, I, I mean, sitting here right now, I can't tell you every single one that I've gone on yeah. prior to the 500, uh-huh. but there was probably five or six different rides similar to that. You know, uh, at some point, I think after that ride, that was kind of like the, the test, you know, I went on that ride, I had some bags, you know, I had an idea that this was going to be something that I really wanted to do, but I'm a practical guy, you know? So I tested it with what I had. I was like, all right, I'm ready. I'm ready to step up and buy a bike for bike packing. And yeah. so that's, that's, I bought a used Salsa Fargo. It's a 2011, 2012 Salsa mm-hmm. Fargo, bought it for $950. Fucking love that bike. Yeah. It's the bike I ride right now. I'm never going to get rid of that bike. It's my bike. It's yeah. Felina. Yeah. And, uh, I just, you know, yeah. From there, I just, I just did what everybody else does. I, I, I got my bike and the same way when I was 19 years old, I started building it up to what I want it to be. Mm-hmm. I, I started to put the parts on it. I want, I tried different things. I, you know, I mean, you know, I've yeah. gone from drop bars with air. I've gone from the wood chippers with aero bars to now I'm riding Jones bars and yeah. different configurations. I've gone from a carbon fork to a steel front fork. And, you know, it's, it's, it's all just fun. I mean, that's one of the things that I love about bike packing is that there's not one right way to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're a triathlete, there's like, it's all about aerodynamics and weight. That's yeah. all it is, you know? Yeah. And Bikepacking is not that way. If you're going to go and ride your bike for 500 miles or more or less, you need to be comfortable. You need to be able to carry a lot of weight. And I guess that's it. And have fun. But yeah. if you're if you're comfortable and yeah. you're going somewhere great, you're going to have fun. Yeah. 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 So um, what would you say has been your most challenging trip? Would you say it would be the, the Grand Gravel? Or do you have a, another trip that was maybe more challenging than that? And I guess challenging in any sense of the word. I mean, just the physical difficulty, maybe mental difficulty. Yeah. The Grand Gravel was hard. Um, it, it pushed me. It pushed me as far as I've ever been pushed, I think. You know, there's only two experiences that I think um, pushed me that way. One was the Grand Gravel. Mm-hmm. And then the second was a trip that Carrie and I took that same summer. So we did the grand gravel in March Mm -hmm. and then we went to Colorado in June Mm -hmm. and it was, it was a different kind of suffering, but it was also very hard. Yeah. Yeah. So I think a lot of listeners probably have a good idea of what the grand gravel is just from you talking about it before and some of your, your, um, your guests on the show, but tell us about the, the Colorado trip that you're referring to. Yeah, that was that was a great trip for me um, in a lot of ways, mostly from a learning standpoint. Mm-hmm. And that and that's important. That's another thing you have to keep in perspective is like no trip is a failure if you're learning something from it. 
Yeah. And you're always learning. And so we're, we're at 270, 78 feet, 280 feet here in college station above sea. Maybe, maybe less, maybe Maybe like 250 feet. Yeah. Yeah. We're, you know, we're, we don't have any elevation here. We don't have hills. We don't have mountains. We don't have elevation. So I had no idea what to expect. And for the listeners, this is kind of interesting. So my wife was going to a wedding in Eagle, Colorado and Ryan, you were, uh, you had just moved from yeah, Eagle, I Colorado to, to, there, yeah. to College Station. Yeah. So it was crazy, <laughs> yeah. the, that coincidence. And so obviously, like, I was talking to you, and I was like, okay, I've done 500 miles in Texas. Like, what can I reasonably expect to do in Colorado? Like, yeah. how does that transfer? Yeah. I don't have any altitude training. Um, I don't. I can't climb very well because I don't have experience doing it and you know, all these things. And like, um, yeah. Do you remember what I told you? No, I I think I told you to whatever your mileage that you're planning on doing in a day to cut it in half. That's good advice. Because I think you told me you were trying to do like, what was it, like 90 miles a 100. day, 100 miles a day. And I yeah. was like, and I knew the route you were doing because I had done the route yeah. that you guys did. And I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Patrick. You were right. <laughs> yeah. You were, you were more than right. Actually, you should have said cut it in like by 75%, like take yeah. 75% off of whatever yeah. you're trying to do. Yeah. So you had given me some information and then there was a guy on, uh, Facebook who also like was from Eagle, Colorado, Mm -hmm. and I was bouncing ideas between both of y'all. So we had decided on a, like, it was basically about a 55, 60 mile route. Yeah. I was going to say, I think I remember. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, we, so going into that, we, the first night we drove from Texas and then we stayed at 3000 feet. Then we drove to the base of whatever mountain it was we, we climbed first. It was Hardscrabble, maybe? No. It was another... Hardscrabble was second. Okay. I can't remember. We we stayed at the Yao Man uh, campground. It was at 9,000 feet. Mm-hmm. And then the next morning, we woke up, packed our bags, and or bikes and bags, and, and climbed up to 11,000 feet, mm-hmm. went down, had to climb back up. This so, is in White River National Forest, by the way. And, okay. Yeah. yeah thank you. That's, that's the clarification. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's so many things that happened on that trip. The, the, the first day we climbed the first mountain pass and never in my life, never in my life have I climbed for eight miles consecutively. Yeah. I've never done that. Yeah. I didn't know what that was like. I had to relearn how to ride my bike Mm -hmm. eight miles consecutively up, up, up. Yeah. Not not to mention those are like old Jeep roads. So they're, it's not like, it's not pavement. It's It's, not paved. It's, it's rocky and gnarly and washed out and everything else. Right. But it was beautiful. Like the, I, I had to get into a place where just, absorbing everything that's around you live in the moment, you know, like I'm going 2.7 miles an hour so I can see everything. Yeah. I can't breathe, but I can see everything. So I started to just focus on my scenery. We got up to the top of the first mountain. 
we had a nice lunch. We looked at the views and then we had a nice five or six mile downhill descent that was phenomenal. We got to the bottom. We sat by a stream under a huge tree. I mean, a huge, beautiful tree. And we filled all of our water from the stream and we were tired. Yeah. It was like two o'clock in the afternoon and we were absolutely spent. Yeah. But we still had a good 12 to 14 miles to go that day. Mm-hmm. And so we started climbing again, mountain number again, two. Yeah. yeah. And that was, that was hard scrabble, right? That yeah. was hard scrabble. Yeah. And all I can tell you is that my wife was an absolute rock star on that second mountain. She was like a little billy goat, just climbing super steady. And I absolutely suffered. I was, I probably walked more than I rode my bike. Like I was in a really bad place and I started to experience altitude sickness for the first time in my life. Really? Coming from zero foot elevation, You know, uh, I just, I haven't done much altitude. I haven't done any, no, I haven't done much. I haven't done any altitude riding at this point point in my life. This is the first time in my life I've ever ridden a bike that weighed 50 pounds at elevation going straight up for miles and miles and miles. And it got to be weird. It got to be where I'm like, my body and my mind were experiencing things that they had never experienced before. And if you talk to any adventure athlete, anybody who does this kind of stuff, they're going to have moments where they're questioning, okay, is what's happening to me right now? Okay. Can I get over this? Or do I need to like call somebody? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And that's where I was. I was in that place where I'm like closely monitoring where I was mentally and physically. And at some point, probably halfway up the mountain, I told Carrie, you know, of course I tried to suck it up and act like everything was fine. Um, But at some point I just had to tell her for safety reasons, we are in the middle of nowhere, right? So she's my only other resource. And so I'm like, listen, here's the deal. This is what I'm experiencing. This is what I'm feeling. I still want to go, but you know, be aware that I'm kind of not in a great place right now. So we continued on like that. Eventually we did get to the top of hard scrabble mountain and it took, I had, I had scheduled us to be there at two o'clock in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. We were there right before the sun went down. Yeah. So we got there, which and, there in the summer is late. Yeah. It was, 7 30 or 8 or yeah you know i don't remember exactly what it was but it was later in the day so we i had calculated food and water and energy and all those things for like a nice five hour (laughs) trek up up the mountain and it turned into be a a day long a day long journey and we got into camp and i was setting up the hammock and unpacking gear and I felt like total shit. I just didn't know what to do. I never had exhaustion and altitude sickness. Like this was all new for me. So Mm -hmm. I didn't know what to do. At some point, Carrie said to me, she was like, okay, there's less oxygen up here. So you should stop doing things. Like you just need to stop. You need to get your heart rate down and you need to stop sucking in Mm -hmm. air and or well, keep sucking in air, but you yeah. know, not yeah, sucking yeah. in as much air and 
so that's what I did. Like I, I laid in a hammock from probably eight o'clock that night until two o'clock in the morning, feeling absolutely terrible, feeling like the whole time, maybe I should go back down the mountain. Yeah. You know, we knew where water was. We knew where we could camp, maybe just cruise on down the mountain. And that was, that was a really interesting time in my life where I was really on the balance of like, what should I do right now? And at two o'clock in the morning, it just stopped like in an instant, I could snap my fingers and I felt fine. I felt Hmm. good, you know, and I woke up the, so I went to sleep finally woke up the next morning, felt amazing. And we rode down. It was, what, what is that downhill in hard scrabble? It was like 16 miles downhill. Yeah. I want to say, uh, from the top back down, it's like 16 miles, just screaming downhill <sighs> the whole way. So yeah. good. Yeah. Okay. I won't say so good. The first five miles or so they call it hard scrabble mountain. It was mm-hmm. like baby head rocks and oh yeah yeah just super gnarly unmaintained we yeah, the our, washboards our, are really bad up there our at the arms top. Yeah. and our hands and our shoulders were screaming yeah but then we hit this red dirt yeah and it was windy and flowy and we just you know 30 miles an hour downhill all the way and it was glorious yeah you know and that and that's the payoff there's yeah. a there's a good lesson in there, right? It's yeah. like you put up with all that adversity and at the end of the, at, you know, if you, if you put in the work, then you get the reward. And I'm yeah. not advocating that people put themselves in a, in danger, in a, in yeah. a danger, but I, I've put myself in enough positions where my body felt weird and I wasn't really sure where I was like, I, I'm okay. I was borderline. I was literally borderline, Yeah. but I was okay. Yeah, there's there's definitely a fine line between like the idea of pushing yourself and, you know, pushing yourself to your limits and enduring and listening to your body and knowing when you need to stop, you know. So it's kind of it's it's interesting and it's it's kind of scary. And I think anybody who's done these type of trips or any kind of athletic feat similar, you know, you, you find yourself in kind of those scenarios yep. and it it, you definitely learn a lot about yourself when you, do. when you experience those types yeah. of things. Yeah. The the thing that I always think about, I read a book called How Bad Do You Want It? And mm-hmm. that's that's the book that I read that kind of like really helped me through the 500. Mm-hmm. And I, you don't even have to read the book. How bad do you want it? Yeah. How bad do you want this? Yeah. Are you willing to go through suffering and pain and you know, whatever rain and cold and hunger and whatever. Yeah. I mean, either you are, or you aren't, it's that simple. How bad yeah. do you want it? Yeah. And I don't want it bad enough to where I'm going to put myself in like physical harm, right. but I'm going to, I'm going to, you did, I'm <laughs> going to, I'm going to put it close. Yeah. I'm going to yeah. put it close. You know, yeah. I'm going to, there, there's something interesting in finding your limits, yeah. right? Cause when you find your, when you find a limit that's in your mind, all it is is in your mind, right? Like, yeah, like, oh, I don't want to do that because it's going to hurt. Or I can't do that because it's too hard. Yeah. No, that's just in your mind. Then you do that. So that thing that you thought was unattainable that you couldn't do, you do it. Yeah. Now you know you can. Okay, so now you have the perspective of knowing that 
previously conceived ideas of things that you thought you couldn't do, you know, now you can. Yeah. So what else can you do yeah, it's, it's really that you quite, think you can't? Yeah. It's really quite liberating. It is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at, at the risk of sounding cliche, you know, when you go through that kind of stuff, you really leave behind like a weaker part of you. Right. Because mm. when, when you push and you achieve that new thing, you've kind of left that weaker part behind yeah. and it's like, well, I know I can't like, be that guy I, like, anymore. Like I beat, I beat that. Yeah. You know? So like, I know I can, I can go up to the top of the mountain or I can go that extra mile, you know, that's now, a good point. Now, obviously all this is done with the understanding of, you know, again, the balance between listening to your body and, you know, being safe yeah. and all, and all that good stuff. So, so you did the grain gravel. That was obviously, you know, a very challenging experience and trip and, uh, this trip that you did in White River, um, what about, you know, a favorite trip? Do you have, you know, a favorite trip? Was it one of these trips? You know, what would you say to that? Favorite trip, I think, is a hard question because there's so many different ways that I like to ride my bike. Mm -hmm. There's so many different experiences that I enjoy having that I, it's hard for me to pinpoint a favorite. Yeah. I was actually asked about this question for the bikepacking.com article. Mm -hmm. Said, so describe to me your favorite trip on a bike. Yeah. And I, I cannot tell you, there was a lot of questions on that interview. That one literally kept me up at night. Like what is a perfect day on a bike? Yeah. And right after that, my wife and I went on a trip to Sam Houston National Forest. It's 50 minutes from our house. We got in our car, loaded up our bikes, drove to Sam Houston National Forest, and it was an amazing experience. The first night, we were all alone in this campground. The weather was absolutely perfect, When it, which in Texas, you have to just like... Yeah, you got to hit it just you, right. You just... There's no mosquitoes. It's cool. There's a nice breeze. The humidity is low, like, you know, so everything came together. And that night from probably nine o'clock at night to midnight, the fireflies were illuminating all the trees around us. Mm -hmm. And in Sam Houston National Forest, it's loblolly pines. Mm -hmm. So, you know, 100, 150 foot tall pine trees and thousands upon thousands everywhere you look 360 degrees around you there's fireflies and they're twinkling yeah. i mean they're just putting on a show and so we just sat there in awe i mean this is all happening for us right now and if we weren't here if we were in our house watching tv or whatever yeah. we wouldn't get this this yeah. this is for us right now next morning we woke up and we rode to a lake that is very, very remote mm -hmm. that very few people know about. And it's beautiful. And we set up our hammocks in between two Lobolly pines and had this beautiful lake to ourselves and watched the sun set and watched it glisten off the lake. And mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know that, that I, I said in the, the, the article, like that was perfect. Mm -hmm. I've had so many perfect trips. I could go to Big Bend State Park and the trip I just had with Jared Foster. It was different, but it was perfect. And yeah. um, it's so it's very hard to quantify my favorite. The 
for me, I've just learned that I, I love riding my bike. I love experiencing this world yeah. um, on a bike. And I, I like learning about myself on a bike. Yeah. You know, like we were talking about pushing ourselves and finding out where our limits are. Mm-hmm. I, I enjoy that. And I enjoy learning more about this earth. I enjoy learning about the bugs and the flora and flana and, yeah. and the sunsets and just soaking all those things in. You yeah. know, I, lo- I, I just love it all. I yeah. mean, I, I can't pick a favorite. I've had yeah. so many good experiences on a bike that yeah, they're all good. Yeah. Well, so that kind of begs the question, what's, uh, what's your least favorite thing about being on a bike? I mean, I know given that answer you just gave, you know, being all positive, maybe that's a difficult thing to, yeah. to, to, to answer, but you know, do you have, well, you know, what, what's your least favorite thing about, you know, these trips being on, you know, being on the bike? Hmm. Man, that's a tough one, you know, um, it's tough because if you go into any experience with the understanding and the belief that even a negative experience is a learning experience, mm-hmm. then it can't be bad, right? Like I've done so many trips where things have gone wrong or the weather wasn't right. You and I, you know, a perfect example is when you and I, after years and years and years, finally got the opportunity to go out to Big Bend Ranch State Park and we put mm-hmm. together, you put together a great route and we went out there with the highest of hopes and the weather didn't give us anything to work with. I mean, we yeah. were, it was the worst possible, I mean, we're talking about wind, cold, rain freezing temperatures snow snow ice everything (laughs) and so i could look on that experience and be like oh that was terrible or i could look on that experience and be like no that was awesome yeah that was big ben flexing whatever that was you know and i was there and the trip didn't go the way we wanted it to go yeah but i will i look back on that trip with very fond memories. It became yeah. very much different than what we wanted to be. Mm-hmm. We were mostly in our car and we were yeah. checking out Big Ben, but we were seeing a side of it that we didn't expect to see mm-hmm. and we will probably I will probably never see again. Yeah. Full disclosure, Ryan was a former park ranger there, so he may have seen all this before. <laughs> uh I never tire of it though. No, no. But it, you know, so I I, I, I'm very hesitant to be like, Oh, that was a bad trip or anything yeah. because I can find, uh, it's just my personality. Yeah. I'm an, I'm an optimist. Oh, that's a good I've, thing. Yeah. yeah. You know, we, I mean, you can, you can look at any situation and find something shitty about it or something yeah. good. And I just tend to always yeah. find the good in whatever, because why not? Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, th- I think we talked about this at length after our trip, you know, like, as you said, you know, we we've been planning this trip since 2016, 2015, yeah. 2015, one of the two. And, you know, all this planning, all this prepping, and we went out there and we, we hardly rode our bikes. I mean, yeah. just to be completely honest, 14 and, miles, I think yeah, we got 14 miles. Yeah. We rode, <laughs> you know, if that much. And, but it was a, such an awesome trip. You know, a lot of other yeah. things happened on that trip that we won't get into here, but yeah. it just ended up being, 
a really phenomenal trip. And so I, I, I applaud you for, you know, having that attitude about, you know, yeah. I guess just life in general, but especially these trips, because, you know, it, it, it's probably worth noting, especially for people that aren't um, experienced in bikepacking, is that you're going to go on trips where things just don't go the way you imagine them. In fact, most trips you go on probably aren't going to go as planned. And so um, it's good to kind of kind of have that attitude. I think that's a really good point. Um, to give a shout out to another podcast I listen to, I think it's the Adventure Sports Podcast. Mm-hmm. The host there has a saying, uh, if you go seeking adventure, don't be upset when adventure finds you. Yeah, that's, that's you know, good. Yeah. and and that's that's good because if you're gonna go into any of these scenarios, there's very little that you can control. Like you can have all your gear and you can be dialed in and be very prepared and know the route, but weather or any, I mean, there's a, there's a number of things that can happen, yeah. but accept it and 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 remember that at least for me and for you. It's like we went to Big Bend to experience Big Bend. We wanted to be there on our bikes. We wanted to feel the gravel. We wanted to carry our gear. We wanted to camp under the stars and all those things. But um, we didn't prepare for that weather. Like we looked at the weather report and it was supposed to be nice. Like the weather was supposed to be good. It's like sunny and 55 degrees. The day before we got there, it was good. And the day after we left, it was good. But the three or four days we were there was it was a winter wonderland, I oh, guess. Man, and it was terrible. A winter, a winter terror land. Yeah. Um, but God, it was beautiful, man. It I'll was. never, I'll never forget the way the cactus, all the different cacti yeah. looked with ice. Yeah. Do you remember after coming out of Los Alamos that second day and we got to the ridge and you could see at the top of this ridge where all the cactus only had ice on one side of it Where the because wind was the yeah, wind yeah. had blown it so hard mm-hmm. that on the other side there was nothing but on yeah. one side it was all ice and you you look at all this the the plants that are there and you're like holy shit you live a rough life you know yeah. like it's hot as you can get and then it's cold as you can get and you just yeah. i don't know you just respect the land so much so yeah yeah, we could be bummed we didn't ride our bikes or we can be like, holy shit, this was cool. Yeah, that was a really fantastic morning when we woke up and saw that. You know, I, I, yeah. remember, I remember seeing the cane cholia cactuses that had ice, you know, icicles that were horizontal mm-hmm. from the wind that, you know, they were a good six or eight inches long icicles just, you know, f- flying off yeah. these, these cactus. Yeah, that yeah. Was, See, that I, was really I'm, I'm so grateful that we got to see that. Yeah. We didn't get to ride our bikes as much, but if the weather was great, we never would have seen that, you know, we never would have seen what the weather is capable of, you know, and yeah. you gotta, if you're going to go do these things, you have to be respectful of your environment and the weather and yeah. you have to, that's part of it. Like we're yeah. all small and insignificant in a way and yeah. we're all subject to our environment and the weather. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Right. And so you can't make it an enemy. Yeah. You know, you just kind of have to roll with it because yeah. it's in charge and you're oh, just yeah. along for the ride. Yep. You know, you just got to manage. You just got to manage it. Yeah. 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 So where do you draw your inspiration from? Where do you draw your inspiration from when you're going on these trips, when you're, you know, planning something? Where do you, where do you get your inspiration from? 
it would be difficult to pinpoint like a, a single person. Um, part of it is internal, you know, part of it is just who I am. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I want to learn more about myself and I want to learn more about this environment, mm -hmm. this world. I want to experience it for whatever reason I have that drive and I have that passion and, and that's important to me, mm -hmm. you know I mean? Um, but when I'm, when I'm riding and things get hard, I really don't know. I think the honest answer is I don't know. Yeah. I've, I've, I've gained so much inspiration from other people, you know, seeing what other people are capable of and seeing the places that they go. And I realize that it's possible and I want, I want that, yeah. you know, I want, I want to be able to be capable. I want to be able to put everything I need on my bike or my back. And I want to go out into the most remote areas and have the most amazing experiences yeah. that are just for me, you know, just like the fireflies in Sam Houston national forest. Like, yeah. You don't just get those experiences. You have to earn them. And when you earn them, they mean so much. Yeah. And so whatever that is, that's what pushes me. Yeah. You know, it pushes me to, I'll tell you, um, another similar experience that I had just in Big Bend Ranch State Park. So after your, uh, our trip, um, three months later, I got a chance to go back with Jared Foster mm -hmm. and Texas tech and you know, it was, it was a, it was a tough trip. I mean, you're in the desert and you're carrying a bunch of weight and mm -hmm. the route is hard and it's hot and everything. And there's cactus everywhere and it's, it's hard. It's, yeah. it's gnarly. Um, but more to the point day three, we rode solitario, which mm -hmm. you'll know is a, uh, an old volcano site. It's uh, six miles in diameter. Am I right about this? You're the yeah. I think it's a little bit bigger. I think it's like nine miles. Okay. But yeah, but you're right. Yeah, it's yeah. a monolith. So, yeah. so why don't you, actually why don't you say what the Solitario Loop is, and then I'll. So so the Solitario is a geologic formation in Big Bend Ranch State Park. It's a uh, what's called a lacolith caldera. So it's essentially an uplifted um, volcanic formation that collapsed. Yeah. And so it was a dome that, again, collapsed, and over time it weathered. And it es essentially, long story short, it looks like a big crater right. is what it looks like now. And so um, being that Big Bend Ranch State Park was um, a series of ranches before the state owned it, there's a whole bunch of you know ranching infrastructure, namely roads. So there's old Jeep roads and stuff that are all throughout, throughout the park. And there's um, a series of roads that go in and out of that formation that's called the solitario, which is Spanish for uh, hermit or solitary. So yeah. yeah and y'all, y'all rode at least part of that. that we rode the whole thing. Th the whole thing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. 25 miles loop, okay. the, the inner loop of the solitario. Okay. Yeah. And it, am I correct that that's the most remote area of the park? Um, I guess it depends on by how you access by. Trail. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that you could, that has roads. It's, definitely up there i mean the, the whole park is so remote i mean from what you can get to on a road or trail it's probably 
you know, one of the more remote yeah. spots for sure. So w for whatever reason, that third day on the trip, I overextended myself, you know, and I got dehydrated and mm -hmm. heat exhaustion and everything else. And at the end of day three, I was really struggling. I got back to camp and I was in a bad way. You know, it was another one of those times where I was like, okay. And I, I felt like I knew what I needed. I was dehydrated. I was the lack of fuel. So I sat down and had to swallow my pride and ask for help. Yeah. Uh, you know, whoever was walking by, I'm like, can you grab me some food? Can you grab me some water? I don't care what it is. I just need yeah. to put fuel and water back in my body. And I went into this trip kind of like as a leader, you know, I mean, I'm, you know, so I, I really had to swallow my pride a little bit, but I mean, you know, you do what you do. And, yeah. um, I sat there for a good hour, just whatever anyone brought me and they were all great. And they brought me lots of, lots of food and water. And I just sat there with my head down and collected myself and I got through it. And next morning I woke up and I wasn't great. You know, I was still, I could tell I was still suffering a little bit, but, uh, went on the journey and throughout the day, I got stronger and stronger. And it was a tough day, a lot of climbing that day. Mm -hmm. But the end of the day, we ended at Choro Vista, which you know. Mm -hmm. And Choro Vista, well, shit, you tell them what Choro Vista is. Uh, well, so, so Choro Vista is a, is a part of the park. It's, it's a campsite is, is where you all went. It's kind of a, um, a spot that's like in the kind of southern central part of the park. Um, it's just south of the Salceda Ranger Station, uh, and it's, I guess, really, it's it's just a great overlook spot um, in the in the park that you're overlooking uh, Fresno Canyon, Choro Canyon. Um, you're looking into Mexico, you're looking at Sierra Rica and, and northern Mexico. Uh, you can see the Chisos of Big Bend National Park. I mean, so it's just a really, really phenomenal. How, how many miles? I was actually talking to my daughter about this mm. just yesterday. How many mm. miles can you see from that vantage point? Like, do you oh, think? Oh, I don't. Fifty. I, I you know, I really don't know the answer to that, but I know that, and I, I might be wrong on this, but as the crow flies, like from that spot to the Chisos Basin in the national park. I mean, again, as a crow flies, it's not that far. I mean, it's, you know, maybe 20, 20 or 30 miles. Like, it's not that far. Still pretty far. Yeah. Um, but it looks like a world away, you know, when you're up there. I mean, it looks like yeah. the other side of the universe, yeah. you know. Yeah. So, end of day four, we get to Choro Vista. And we hike to the a peak probably the highest peak and you can see for 20 or 25 miles and you see all the layers and we were treated to the most magnificent sunset mm -hmm. I have ever seen and mm -hmm. probably will ever see. Yeah. You just cannot describe to people what a sunset looks like when you can see for 20 to 25 miles an hour or 20 to 25 miles in yeah. every single direction. Yeah. You look up, you look down, you look sideways and everywhere you look, the sky is blazed yeah. with, I mean, it's just, it's un, it's undescribable. Yeah. My point is that moment is etched in my life forever. Mm-hmm partially because of the three to four days before it that I worked so hard to get there. Yeah. 
and everybody else that I was with. I'm going to be releasing a, a podcast on that one soon. Um, but those, those kids, I say kids are college students mm-hmm. were with me. I mean, we were sitting here watching it and they were crying. I would look over and people were crying. They were in tears. Yeah. I mean, it was, and then I would, uh, you know, later on I, I, I got the opportunity to interview some of them and that one night, that one night changed their life. Literally. Yeah. Changed the way that they wanted to live their life, the types of kids that they wanted to raise, what they mm-hmm. wanted to do with their time on this earth, how they wanted to spend it. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was amazing to see that. Yeah. And I, I don't got off on a ch- tangent, but no, no, I think you're right <laughs> but, on point. But the, but, but the point is, is like, you know, when you, you, you just have to go out there and ride your bike and get to those spots. And if, yeah. if you're willing to put in the work, yeah. it's there for you. It's waiting for you. If you are willing to go and put yourself through dehydration and starvation and <laughs> altitude sickness and yeah. whatever else, like if you're willing to do that, yeah. you're going to be treated to some of the most spectacular things you've ever seen. And they're going to be more meaningful to you yeah. because you and I both know that you can take a Jeep and you can drive up to Toro Vista. Yeah. But it's not I'm the ju- same. I'm just going to leave it at that. Yeah, you can not, do that. Yeah. It's not the same. Or yeah. you can ride your bike. Yeah. And you can earn it. Yeah. And you're going to, you're going to sit there and you're going to weep. You're going to yeah. be so grateful for that experience because it's going to mean so much more yeah. because of the effort that you put in to get there. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's profound. So let's, let's talk about the podcast and let's talk about bikes or death. Oh, good. Let's lighten it up. Yeah. So <laughs> here, here's a big question for you. So what, what is bikes or death? So I think, uh, you know, most of the people out there that are following you and the podcast, um, you know, we know the name of the show is bikes or death, but you know, we kind of get the impression that bikes or death is more than just, you know, the podcast, you know, so, you know, what is, what is this creation you know, of yours, bikes or death? Oh, wow. You're asking that question as if I know the answer. (laughs) (laughs) Um, truth time. Okay. So I started an Instagram account purely. So I started an Instagram account called Fargo Felina, Mm -hmm. which is the name of my Fargo is Felina. Mm -hmm. And it was an outlet for me to be as bike nerdy as I want to be. You know, like I can post as many pictures of my bike. I can talk about all the stupid shit that I'm doing with my bike that like my other Instagram account and my Facebook account don't care about, you know, and I started doing that and people started to like, I was like, okay, people are like interested in my nerdy bike you know, yeah. account. And, uh, I mean, so like the whole thing truthfully happened on accident. Like I, I started an Instagram account that was just for me to be a bike nerd. That's all Mm -hmm. I wanted to do. I wanted a forum for me to post pictures about my bike and connect with other bike nerds. Truthfully, like that's all I wanted to do separately from that. Um, one of my buddies, Brian and I, we 
are huge podcast nerds. We love, we listen to podcasts all the time and he and I are very different, but we have a great rapport. And so we'll get to drinking and we have these really interesting conversations. And at some point along the way, we were like, Hey, let's start our own podcast, you know, like, and it was just one of those things you talk about when you're drunk, you know, you're like, yeah. Oh, drunk. You're like, Oh, let's, let's start a podcast. You yeah, know? yeah. But we, we started getting drunk and having the podcast talk more regularly. So then the podcast talk morphed into our non drunk conversations <laughs> and it just kind of, it, it evolved into the point where he and I actually like, okay, are we really doing this? Like, are we just talking shit? Or are we going to start a podcast? Yeah. And we decided we were going to start a podcast and anyway, long story short, we, the, the pot, he and I didn't work out and I, it doesn't really matter why, but while he and I were doing that, I had this Instagram account going and I had this audio equipment and I was like, okay, Brian and I, we're going to do a podcast, but on the side, just for fun, just to like feed that bike nerd inside me, mm -hmm. I'm going to start a bike podcast. I don't know exactly what it's going to be about, but I'm just going to get on my mic and I'm going to talk about bikes. I'm mm -hmm. going to talk to other bike nerds and that's it. So when that podcast didn't work out with him, I was like, okay, well, I got all the equipment. I still want to do a podcast. I was still fired up for the idea of a mm -hmm. podcast. And I just went to the thing that was closest to home, which was bikes. Yeah. You know, it's something I can talk about to anybody. I'm passionate about it. I'm interested in it. I'm, I love it. So, okay. You know, then I, I get on Apple podcasts and I'm like, I start looking at all the different bike packing podcast. I'm like, all right, well, there's not much here. I'm like, okay, well maybe I'll just start one, you yeah. know? And so how bikes or death was formed was like, yeah, it was just a convergence of a lot of different things going on in my life. Like it wasn't intentional. I didn't set out to start a bike packing podcast, so to speak. Mm -hmm. I just, I had a Instagram outlet that I was enjoying where I was talking about bikes and I had this passion to want to create a podcast and, and just do it for fun. Mm -hmm. And so then I, I literally just got an Instagram and started looking at different names that were available, you know, and if you want to have anything in this world, you have to like have an Instagram account, you know, <laughs> like, and it can't just be, Patrick seven, 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 you know, like, um, so I went through a huge list of names and finally came across bikes or death that was available mm -hmm. and the Instagram count was available and the domain was available. And I was like, Holy shit. How is this? You know, cause it's basically ride or die, right? Yeah. Ride or die bikes or death. It's yeah. basically the same thing, yeah. but different words. Yeah. And I, I couldn't believe that no one else had scooped either one of them up. Uh -huh. And so I scooped both of them up and that was kind of how it started. I was like, okay, I got the equipment. I got a name. I got an Instagram account. Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you, you formed a podcast and, 
you know, I, I feel like it's taken off pretty quickly. You know, you've had about, I guess, what, seven, seven guests total. This will be, yeah. eight, this will be the eighth. I'm eight, number eight. This will yeah. be the eighth recording. If I ever release it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you should, you should. Uh, so, so at this point, um, do you have a vision for the show? I mean, what, I guess, what was your vision then? And, you know, what is it now? And, you mm. know, that's a great question. The truth is that when I started the podcast, I had zero vision other than to have fun, mm -hmm. have fun, talk about bikes, talk to people that I think are interesting. That's it. Yeah. You know, like I, I have an insatiable curiosity. That's one thing that I think lends my lens to me being a good podcaster, a good host is that I could talk to almost anybody mm -hmm. and find interest in whatever story. Like, I, I mean, if you dig deep enough, everybody has an interesting story. Yeah. Sitting here right now, I still don't know. That's the truth. I don't, I don't know what I want it to be. I don't have any elaborate goals or aspirations. Mm -hmm. um, I genuinely love bikes, bike packing. I enjoy talking to people. And I'm finding that there are um, people out there who are very eager to learn about this activity or this sport that I'm passionate about. Mm -hmm. And there just doesn't happen to be a lot of people talking about it. So I'm happy to fill that void to whatever extent that I can. Yeah. As I've, as I've done this, um, it's, it's forced me to kind of think more about myself and my own positions on whatever it is, right? If you're going to be talking to people, it's good to have ideas that are your own. So it yeah. forces you to consider those things. And I've, I realized, um, not too long ago that, you know, promoting bikes and being a cyclist is just who I am. When I was 14 years old. So I, I grew up, I was a, I was a boy scout, cub scout, boy scout, and I am an Eagle Scout for my Eagle Scout project. If you, if you don't know to become an Eagle Scout, you have to do a project mm -hmm. and it, it has to be like a hundred hours of community service. And it, there's all these requirements. My Eagle Scout project was a bicycle rodeo. So this was my idea and I completely created the entire thing. Mm -hmm. I, what it was, was it was three parts. It was, um, Aguilane cycling, which is still my local bike bicycle shop. It's where I bought my first bike or my parents bought my first bike ever. And I'm still a cu customer of theirs. Um, they came out and they did bicycle maintenance. Um, we had the police officers that came out there and they taught about bicycle safety and bike laws and how to signal on a bike and all that stuff. And we did a bike rodeo, which is, where you there's cones and stop signs and all those things so you take what you've learned and mm -hmm. then you demonstrate it on an obstacle course kind of thing yeah and i i had to go to local radio stations and promote it and so <laughs> i was like at 14 years old i was like on a local radio station like talking about you know this bicycle rodeo that i did in a, a walmart parking lot and i had to go to walmart and ask him for permission <laughs> 
It's come uh, full circle. <laughs> yeah, it has, man. It, it, that's what I'm saying. It's like I, I think that I've realized that I didn't mean for it to happen. You know, it's just like it's just who I am, and through a through who I am and being me, like yeah. this podcast has just become the next step in my progression as as being me. You yeah. know, I I feel like I have a, a a decent ability to talk to people. I'm extremely curious like yeah. i can't emphasize that enough i mean i could sit here and talk to anybody one-on-one for hours upon hours and really dig down on who they are and why they do what they do and legitimately be interested in that yeah 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 so on that note i mean for the show how do you decide you know who you want to pursue as a guest hmm. um that's fairly easy in that okay here's how it works let me tell you about my first guest greg hardy with rock geist so my wife again carrie like i feel like every trip we take is because carrie knows somebody who's in a wedding (laughs) and so we it was last september we were going to Asheville, north carolina for one of her friend's wedding and it, it was around the same time we were talking about where i'm like okay i'm going to do a podcast. I have all the equipment. This is my first opportunity. I'm going on a trip. Who am I going to interview? So get on the internet, start Googling everybody that's in Asheville, North Carolina. Turns out rock guys is there, Greg Hardy. And I had previously purchased a bag from him and I, I forgot or didn't know that he was based out of Asheville, North mm-hmm. Carolina. And so I just sent him an Instagram message. And I was like, Hey, I'm headed up here these dates. Would you be interested in, um, doing a podcast? I've never done a podcast in my life. I'm just some <laughs> random guy that says I'm a podcaster. And I'm like, Hey, let's do a podcast. He responds like seven minutes or something. Like he responds pretty quickly. He's like, yeah, I'd be totally down to do that. You know, just yeah. like real nonchalant. So we, I, you know, and I'll be honest, like that moment when he like, messaged me back and was like, yes. I was like, oh shit. Like now I really, I mean, I have to, you know, I can't like get out of it. Like, okay, I'm going to do this. Um, and so that, that's a good example of like how my podcast has happened. Like, Mm -hmm. uh, my second guest was Billy Rice. He's here locally. And then Jared Foster, he posted on Facebook, Texas bikepacking about a trip that he was doing, and so I just reached out to him organically mm-hmm. and then it, that's just kind of the way it's happened. Like I just, I, I, I see something that's in my vicinity or somewhere I'm going and I try to fit it in my life organically. Like yeah. I'm not the, the podcast is very much a hobby for me, especially at that point. Um, and, and even now, like I, it's something that I enjoy doing. I enjoy talking to people. And so if I'm going somewhere, I will reach out to somebody in the area mm-hmm. and I will say, Hey, let's do a podcast. I, I said earlier in the show that this next weekend we're heading up to Northwest Arkansas. And so I have two people lined up, um, to interview there. Mm-hmm. You know, I know I'm going there, so I've researched and identified people that would be good guest and I'm going to talk to them while I'm there. That's it. You know, like, so I'm going to go have a vacation and talk to people about bikes. That's it. It's fun. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I think 
in my opinion, one of the things that makes this show kind of what it is and one of the things that's drawn me to it is that um, you, you don't have to be like a, a famous person in the industry or you, know, you don't have to be a, a bag maker or you know a frame builder or you know you don't have to be a big name in the cycling industry you're just interested in you know hearing people's stories whether they are you know again somebody that's well known or they're just somebody off the street so for me as a listener and your friends you know i think that's one of the things that's really cool for me uh, can you can you speak more to that yeah i would love to speak to that actually and i'm glad you brought it up um i don't give a shit who you are to be honest um every single person who is interested in the sport or a, you know, a top level athlete or a big manufacturer or whatever it is. Um, everybody has a story and all of them are valuable. Yeah. I'm a perfect example of that. I've only been bike packing for two years, 39 years old. Only two years of it has been spent bike packing. Yeah. I'm very much a beginner bike packer. I still think, <laughs> you know, yeah. and so I'm hosting a show about bike packing and the only thing that I have to my credit is that I'm curious. And so I can sit across somebody and be like, okay, what do you know? What do you, what, what can you contribute? Yeah. And the number, the most questions that I get are from beginner bike packers. Like, you know, what do you do? You know, how do you do this? Or what, whatever it is, like I get so many questions from people who are just starting. And so it doesn't matter if like you're, um, super experienced or just getting started, those experiences are valuable and above biking and bike packing and all that. We're all humans and humans are awesome. Like let's, let's get to know each other and let's spread, spread that story, whatever it is. Like, I'm, I don't know. I, I, yeah. I, I like people. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's one of the things I like about the show a lot is that it's very much based in other people's experiences you know, not, not so much, um, you know, the, the finer details about a bike or a trip necessarily, which, which, you know, you do get into that, which is great, but it it's very heavily focused on, you know, the people and yeah. the, the experiences that they have on their trips or in their business or, you know, their lives as it relates to biking. So I think that's, you know, as again, as a listener, that's something for me that makes it, that makes it special. And I, I think, and I hope other people, recognize that and uh i know that you know i I listen to a lot of other podcasts i try to you know when i can and you there's kind of a disconnect between the listener and the podcaster with a lot of shows and that you know a lot of people they interview like famous people or they interview people that are you know well known Mm -hmm. or they are accomplished in some way and so i think it's really cool when you have people like chris on the show who is just here um yeah. i guess two episodes ago or whenever sitting that in was. the chair you're sitting in right now yeah and he's literally a guy off the street you know i mean he's yeah. not you know a big name the longest and- ride he ever did before riding across america was 200 miles yeah think about that yeah 200 miles he did a 200 mile ride and then he was like you know what i'm gonna ride from california to florida <laughs> yeah Tell me that's not cool. Yeah, yeah. So it's just stuff like that. You know, it's just really neat that you'll have just people on the show that are willing to share their experiences. And I think it makes it it makes it makes really relatable. And I think, you know, I, I 
you know, commend you for that. I think that's very cool. Well, thank you. I mean, part of it is I, I want to be very clear. I am pretty inexperienced, you know, like yeah. the reason why that I can sit down with somebody like Chris and be amazed by his story is because he's doing something I've never done before. Yeah. Something that I sit back and I'm in awe of him. I've done a 500 mile ride, race, ride, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I still look at what he's doing and I'm like, holy shit. Yeah. I mean, one, it's a hard task, but two, how do you get off the time from work? Like, yeah. how do you carve off time out of your life to yeah. make that a reality? And how cool is it that he made that a priority? Like yeah. he, he quit his job so he could go and do this. You know, yeah. he was like, this is, this is something I need to do. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think there is a lot of value in the humility that you show because I think you're kind of downplaying. I mean, you, you are an accomplished cyclist and you're an avid outdoorsman. And I, again, I, I think it's really neat that, um, you know, you are willing to just hear people's stories and dig into their experience and have them share their experience, you know, re regardless of, regardless of who they are or how experienced they are. I think that's, I think that's really cool. Well, thank you. Yeah. I don't know. I, I just, I just enjoy it. Yeah. I mean, I always have, it's, it's part of my personality where I just, you know, throughout my life, I've always, you know what I enjoy? I enjoy one-on-one -on -one conversations. Yeah. You know, if you put me one-on-one -on -one with somebody, I become very interested in who you are and your story. And uh, I don't know, yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't know what that is, but, um, yeah, I, I, I enjoy it. I think it shows. Yeah. No, thank you. Yeah. So what would make you step back and look at bikes or death and say, this is successful? That's a really hard question considering the fact that I just had bikepacking.com feature myself in the show on their website. I would be remiss if I didn't give a huge nod to how important that is to me. Just me. If you can imagine you know, myself as a kid and a guy, kid growing up in cycling and then loving riding bikes and then finding out about bike packing and spending hours upon hours upon hours. I mean, you know, neglecting life <laughs> to research everything that is on bikepacking.com. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's still surreal. I mean, this happened five days ago, yeah. you know I mean? As we're talking, um, I look up to those people on that website as inspiration. I mean, those are the people who actually caused me to want to do a podcast. I want to go back to a question that you asked earlier about, yeah you know, how did bike or how did bikes or death become a thing? Right. Mm. And I talked about the equipment and, you know, me being a bike packer and all those things. But the one thing that I failed to mention is that, and I, I think it's the most important thing 
something was stirring inside of me that wanted to give back to the cycling community mm-hmm. on some level, whether it was the local or national or whatever, mm-hmm. like there's so many people who have done so much on every level and bikepacking.com is a perfect example of that. If you ever want to know anything about bikepacking, you go there first, Yeah. whether it's equipment or routes or stories, inspiration, all those things, you go there first. You just do. I do. Yeah. I do. Yeah. You know, and because of that, you know, you think about this life and you're like, okay, what am I doing? You know, I'm working a job and I'm providing for my family and I'm enjoying life, but what am I going to leave behind? Like, what am I doing to help humanity, the world, whatever, you know? And I, I'm 39 years old. Like I I just got to this point in my life where I'm like, I want to give something back and I want to give something back to cycling. I want to do something for the cycling community. Mm And a lot of that is because of bikepacking.com, like all the contributions that have been made, all the people who have gone out and found and, and pioneered routes and tested gear and whatever it is, like there's so many people that have done so many things that I've been a benefactor of. Like I've used all that information, I've taken it and I've gone out and I've done great things for myself. And as I've done that, as I've gone out and I've explored and I've taken that information and I've ran with it and I've really bettered my life. Like I feel like my life is better because of all those people who have done all those things Mm -hmm. that that's like the real reason, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, yes, things came together in an interesting way, Mm -hmm. but I was already looking for an opportunity to give back to this community and I didn't have any grandiose plans that bikes or death would be like a big contribution. And I, I still don't necessarily think that. Um, but why not? You know, I mean, I got equipment, I got curiosity. I can talk to people. Let's do it. Let's, let's do a podcast. Let's throw something out there. Let's give back to this community. And so, you know, what was your question? How, how will I know when I made it? No, no. I mean, just what, when, you know, when you step back and look at bikes or death, you know, what, what would you say has made it successful or. I, I think I'm already there. Honestly, I, I've been, I've been humbled and overwhelmed by the people that I hear from on a daily basis, genuinely. I mean, I'm just a guy that enjoys riding bikes. You know, I'm, I'm a normal guy. I've done some cool trips. I've had some fun stuff, but I mean, there's way more experienced people than I am. There's way more accomplished people than who I am. Um, but I mean, I get messages all the time from people, whether it's in America or Europe or New Zealand or, Ireland or wherever saying just the most amazing things about, about the show and about the guests and about me. And I mean, what else could you ask for? You know, I mean, if I'm being honest, like I'm, I'm very, very touched to be in a position. If you think back to that 14 year old me that a bicycle rodeo for his community to try to teach 
younger kids about bikes and bike safety and bike maintenance. And, you know, now as an adult with kids trying to share the love of cycling and bikepacking and the outdoors to the world and having people respond to that in a positive way. I mean, if it stopped tomorrow, I'd be super happy. Yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't ask for anything more. Well, man, that's, that's all really great stuff. And, you know, at, at, again, as a listener and, you know, as a friend of yours, you know, I, I, I really appreciate uh, what you're doing on this podcast. And uh, I, I really enjoy, you know, listening to you talk with people and um, kind of getting an understanding of people's experiences. And uh, I, I think it's a, a fantastic way to give back to the community because, there's no shortage of gear review websites. Mm. There's no shortage of, you know, pictures of bikes, uh, which is all fine. That's yeah. good. That's good stuff. You know, I love looking at pictures of bikes. Don't get me wrong. Um, but, you know, there's no shortage of all these things. And so I think you're definitely kind of filling um, in a part of the cycling community that might not necessarily be there in this medium. And, I think it's it's really cool to kind of get uh, an understanding of the the people who yeah. who make up this sport and um, you know I don't mean to put words in your mouth but I think that bikes or death is doing that I think it's uh, that's kind of what I see is what it's doing for the community and I think that's that's really awesome and I, I applaud you for the work that you've done so far and well, thank congratulations you. on that <laughs> yeah it's crazy. I, I would be remiss if I also didn't give you some credit because I feel like a lot of my um, positions, not only in life, but on bikes come from conversations that you and I have. Like we're, we're constantly, you know, figuring out why we do mm-hmm. what we do and what we're getting out of it and how we can be better and whatever it is. Like our conversations have really helped informed a lot of the opinions that I have, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, yeah, people should know that like whenever I'm on this show and I say something, a lot of it is because of a conversation you and I had, <laughs> you know, but I, I do think that like, um, I think you're a hundred percent right. Like someone has already done all the gear reviews. Mm-hmm. You can go on YouTube. You can, you can find so much information, whether it's bikepacking.com or YouTube or Instagram or, I mean, if you want to find out about gear, gear is out there. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up because that's not my strength. My, I, I'm not that great about gear. Like I like the gear that I have mm-hmm. and, um, and that's great. Like it's functional, but for me, it's much more about the experience. Like I want to be the, the guy, like if I want to be anything, I want to be the guy that's like helping to share the bike packing stoke and, and helping to get people out to explore this great world that we live in and, um, interact with it on a real level, you know? And so it's not that there's anything wrong with all those things. It's just Mm -hmm. that I feel like that's been done. And I also feel like I'm not experienced or qualified enough to be the guy that's like, 
well, you should get this frame over that frame or this bag or for that bag or mm-hmm. whatever it is. Like, I just, I don't have enough experience to feel like I can add something to that conversation. Yeah. But what I think that I can do is talk to people and share other people's experiences. And through that, other people will be able to learn and benefit from that. So I think that's like probably the biggest goal of the podcast. Like mm-hmm. as I've gone on, I think I, I've realized that that's what I want to do. I want to share your story. Like I can sit here and ask you a million questions. What did you learn? How'd you do it? Mm-hmm. Why'd you do it? What'd you learn from it? You know? Yeah. And the, and like through that, someone's going to learn from that because someone mm-hmm. hasn't done that before. Yeah. That experience you had is special. It's different. It's unique. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, it's, there's a purpose there, you know, there's something that can be gained from that. And, and that's, that's, that's what I want to really try to tap into is, yeah. is everybody's unique experience. Cause it's unique. Yeah. You know, no one's going to have that. I keep referencing it, but no one's going to have that night that Carrie and I had in Sam Houston national forest yeah. when thousands upon thousands of fireflies were putting on a show just for us or, Choro Vista, night four at Big Ben Ranch State Park, when the sun set, just blew up the sky. Yeah. You know, um, those are experiences that I can share, yeah. you know, and inspire other people to go out there and find those experiences for yourself. Yeah. And that, 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 that hits closer to home for yeah. me, you know? Yeah. Well, I, I think you're definitely achieving that and i think you're doing a a great job at it thank you so so if uh people want to find out more about you or bikes or death or maybe they want to ask you more questions uh what's a good way for them to do that probably the best way is just through instagram honestly um life is complicated life is busy and i could do a blog and i could do youtube and i could do so many different things but the truth of it is is that i live a very busy life Mm -hmm. and i can only commit myself to you know certain things and like instagram has become a a great tool for me Mm -hmm. uh i i i generate a lot of um inspiration i i love following instagram when i'm not on an adventure it gives me stoke about finding cool places or following other people that are out there doing something that I want to be doing. Um, so I'm on there a lot, probably more than I should be. (laughs) And, uh, anyway, message me on there. And I would like to say that do not hesitate to reach out to me with any questions. I'm just a regular guy. I like (laughs) talking about bikes. And if you reach out to me, I'm like, I don't, sometimes like I'm responding to people. I'm like, I'll write them a book. They send me, <laughs> see a question. I'm like, I'll just, I go into like grave detail and like yeah. respond to them, but I enjoy it. I mean, I'm yeah. the only reason I'm sitting here doing this, talking to people, talking to people about bikes is because I enjoy it. I yeah. want people to be excited about riding bikes and going out and exploring this cool earth that we live on. That's yeah. it. You know? So yeah. reach out to me. Yeah. All good stuff, man. Well, Patrick, thanks for coming on your show. It's a pleasure to be here. (laughs) (laughs) All right, everybody. This has been Bikes or Death. Go ride your bike. All right, everyone. Uh, Patrick here. I'm back on the mic or back on this side of the mic. 
and uh, just wanted to thank everyone for tuning in. I hope you all enjoyed that more than I did. Um, I have to say that I enjoy being the interviewer more than the interviewee, um, but that's okay. I'm, I'm happy to put that out there, and um, I, I hope you all enjoy it. And uh, big thanks to Ryan for taking the time to put together a list of questions and coming over here and putting me on the spotlight. Uh, I went into this blind. I, I prefer that the conversations be more like organic and natural. And so um, that's that's typically the way I like to do it. And so I, if I can, um, if my guests are okay with it, I don't provide them with my questions either, you know? So uh, it's one of those things where you listen back, you're like, oh, I should have said this and that was dumb and I made a mistake there. But you know what? We're all human and uh, I definitely make mistakes and I say stupid things. So um, it is what it is. So, you know, let's not take ourselves too seriously, right? Um, okay, a little bit of housekeeping. Um, I appreciate uh, so many of you who have gone on to Patreon um, over the last couple weeks. I've got like, I don't even remember, 10 or 11 new Patreons, and that's freaking awesome. I genuinely appreciate appreciate it, whether it's a dollar or five or 10 or whatever it is. Um, it means the world to me. I would love for this to be a community-supported project where you see the value in it and you want to support it, and um, and it, it means a lot, you know, if you put your money where your mouth is, so to speak. And uh, you know, so I'll remind everyone I'm running a promotion over on Patreon, um, for as little as a dollar a month, you can get on and, uh, sign up there and I will send you a sticker for, uh, a dollar. That's it. I'll probably send you more than a, a, a sticker. Usually I throw a few in there so, um, you can share them with your buddies. Um, all right. Yeah. So let's keep that going. Keep the Patreon stoke alive and, um, if you want to keep up with me in the show, you can find me at bikes for death on Instagram or Facebook. All right, that's it. Now you know what to do. Go ride your damn bike. I came in the door. I said it before. I never let the mic magnetize.